Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. In our reading of our book this week, with the 1st Marine Division of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, we're going to take a look at how the Iraqis disposed to defend their positions now that a division is staged in their areas of operation in preparation for the division to head across the border and actually head into Iraq. In our hero highlights this week, we take a look at the story of Private First Class James Dennis LaBelle. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's time for the it's, it's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. The quarter deck. It's time for the gunny. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to the quarter deck. I am your host, Miguel, the gunny signs. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. Yes, with so much tension and everything going on over there in Iran and the fight that's starting over there with Russia and all these things that are happening, North Korea doing its own thing and everything. There's so many things on the news regarding all that stuff and everything. And I don't know. It seems as if every time something is happening, whether it's elections or anything else, everything is distracted to go into somewhere else. And that's nothing new. It's always been going on. And it's just some of the things that, you know, that we realize and we can see of what is going on. Now, I don't want to get into no political stuff, so I'm not going to. But I just want to kind of talk about the things that are going on in the news. And especially now, my son was watching the news with me and he's like, Dad, what's going on? Are we going to get bombed here in the United States? And, you know, that's a, a very, very good question for a young kid to ask because he sees all this stuff on the news, on the Internet, of all these things that's going on. Now, with me, when I was growing up, yes, did we see the news? Yes, we did. But was all this information readily available for me to be able to see it right away with the things that are going on? There's so many videos that are going out of people recording stuff with their cell phones, the bombs going off over there uh, with the explosions and everything. And they're using that, especially for the news, for them to be able to do that. Now, with that being said, of course, the United States is going to do its part and do what it's got to do to either send more Marines out there to just patrol the area to ensure that their presence is there, knowing that, hey, we're watching you, and if you continue to do certain things the way you're doing, you know, we're going to come in there and we're going to do something about it, as well as some of the other forces that are out there. Now, is this going to lead to one big giant battle or war? Don't know. You know, I have do not have the answer to that question. The only thing that I tell my son is everything is that we need to be prepared for anything that may happen and whether that means for us to take care of each other. And again, it goes like I've been telling my wife for many years. She keeps asking me, why do you keep buying different types of guns for this and all that stuff and everything else? Hey, we don't know what the heck is going to happen. We don't know what's going on. And I'd rather be prepared to have things here to be able to take care of the family and to ensure that we are going to be safe 
and that nothing is going to happen to us. So it's better to be prepared than for something happen and you do not have whatever you need in your house in order to defend your yourself. There are so many people that I've talked to and stuff and they're like, oh, these people have it so bad and all this stuff here in the United States. It sucks. And they don't like the way things are going here. And, and you know, one of the things that I was telling them, well, that's fine. Go ahead and pack up all your stuff. Go down there to the country that you want to go to and see what life is like over there compared to the way that it is here in the United States. It took me a while to realize and to understand when I first enlisted into the Marine Corps of all the things that I had here in the United States that were so much easier for me to have certain things here that when I was deployed and I was out there in those third world countries that I missed having those certain things because, hey, I didn't have them. I mean, having a clean bathroom wherever I went, man, I that was something that I literally took for granted. Being able to have freaking toilet paper, you know, that freaking white stuff, the shit paper that you use to wipe your ass here in the United States, when you get down there in those third world countries, they don't even have that sometimes. They use other things, whatever they have, in order for them to wipe their ass. So it's very small little things that we take for granted. And I don't realize that until you're gone, especially for me, it wasn't until I was gone somewhere else that I realized that, that how easy we have it here in the United States for us to be able to get things that we need. And, you know, with that being said, there's so many other things going on, especially in the Marine Corps right now, of Marines preparing themselves in the event that they have to deploy. Now, Fox News had a story about Marines being deployed and that the United States is sending Marines and warships out there towards the Middle East because of things that are going on over there, not just because of, of Iran and because of Russia, but there's other things going on. So let's take a look and listen at the news report about what they're talking about. And this is Fox News on what they're saying about the Marines. All right, tensions building in the Middle East right now and word that the U.S. is sending Marines and a lot more warships to that area. A lot of this has to do with the growing tensions, specifically with Iran. Jennifer Griffin has more now from the Pentagon. Hey, Jennifer. Hi, Neil. In just the last week alone, the U.S. has deployed the guided missile destroyer USS Thomas Hudner, along with two squadrons of F-35 and F-16 fighter jets, a strong message of deterrence intended for Iran and Russia. The department is increasing our presence and ability to monitor the strait and surrounding waters. We call upon Iran to immediately cease these destabilizing actions that threaten the free flow of commerce through this strategic waterway of which the world depends on for more than one-fifth of the world's oil supply. The Pentagon announced Thursday it is also sending an additional 2,500 Marines as part of the Amphibious Readiness Group Marine Expeditionary Unit. They will be based in the Gulf, also available to protect any U.S. embassies, as tensions flare in Baghdad and elsewhere. Protests outside the Swedish embassies in Iraq and Iran following rumors of a Quran burning led to the Swedish embassy in Baghdad being torched by an angry mob. In the Strait of Hormuz, during the past two years, Iranian forces have attacked, seized, or attempted to seize nearly 20 internationally flagged merchant vessels in the Sinkham area of operations. Most recently, on July 5th, the USS McCall, McFall, a guided missile destroyer, intervened to save a Marshall Islands and Bahamian oil tanker carrying oil for Chevron as the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Navy tried to seize the oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman. U.S. A-10 Warthog warplanes then began 
began patrolling in the skies over the Strait of Hormuz to deter Iranian aggression. Just last week, Neil, a senior U.S. military official, told us he worries if the U.S. takes its eye off the Middle East in its rush to deploy assets to the Pacific, that bad actors will try to take advantage. This latest deployment of American forces is to send a loud message of deterrence. Fox News is just only one of the actual news uh, broadcasting stations that is out there that broadcasts all this stuff. Now, for me, I personally just listen to Fox News. I don't watch any of the other ones. That's just me personally, the ones that I decide to listen to and stuff. But every news broadcasting station is different. They pick and choose what the story they want to actually put on the air and all that stuff. And that's nothing new. Because, you know, they're going to put whatever stories out there that's going to grab the attention of the people that are out there to be sure that they drag them into the story of what's going on. What are people wanting to hear and what are they wanting to talk about right now? That's the most important thing. But, you know, this story goes all the way back to July when they were talking about that they're going over there. And they're talking about the Straits of Hormuz in that area over there. And I can remember in our deployment that we were on aboard the USS Fort Fisher back in 1997, when we headed out that way, we had to go through the Straits of Hormuz. And I can remember that the whole entire time that we were going through there, through the Straits of Hormuz, all, everybody, all the Marines in particular, had to be down in their quarters inside of the skin of the ship. They did not want anybody outside because... They needed to make sure that they had the people manning the guns and everything on the ship in the event that there were people out there, the pirates or whatever they were patrolling the area, that they maybe they, hey, they want to take advantage of it and they want to try to board a naval vessel and do whatever they want to do. So just like they're talking about with the oil tankers going through there and stuff, are they attacked uh, a lot? Yes, they are. You know, there's the pirates that are out there, whether they're from Iran or wherever they are. They attempt to take charge of these boats with the oil, with all the other stuff that's on there to ensure that they can gain something from this. And, you know, it's, it's important because, you know, like they talked about on the news, that's a lot of the oil that comes out of there to come through the United States and other places that it goes to. So it's important that, you know, those boats, those ships are able to go through there with no issue and stuff like that. So, you know, so many things, so many things that are going on. And again, just like we talked about last week, with social media, with everybody having a camera, a video camera on their phones, it's going to allow people to be able to record stuff and send it to the news and post it on all the social media stuff and allow much more people to get access to what is going on. So, you know, it's, so it's important. And we have to understand, too, hey, you know, some of the things that we record and we post on social media you know, may not be suitable for everybody. All the kids that are watching these things, it may not be suitable for them. It's just like I talked about a couple of episodes ago when I was with my son at his boxing uh, classes at the gym, there was an incident that occurred here in the border from Mexico to the United States. The people were lined up to come across the border and a car pulled up and shot up a truck that was in line getting ready to cross the United States. Come to find out that that was a a whistleblower for the cartel. They were telling information to the police and to Border Patrol coming across and stuff, and this was something that was going on for, I guess, for a while. And they pulled up there, and they shot him. They killed him right then and there, and people were driving by, taking videos, taking pictures, and posting it online. And some of the kids that were there in the gym, they were showing it to, like, the six, seven-year-old kids that were there, 
and allowing them to see a dead body inside of a pickup truck. Now, okay, to me, whatever, it is what it is. I've been there. I've seen dead people in vehicles on the ground and all those things. So it's nothing new to somebody that's kind of used to seeing stuff like that. But here we are talking about young kids. What kind of crap is that that you got to show them that and traumatize them because they've never seen stuff like that? Now, I could take it if we were down there in the Middle East or stuff like that. Those kids down there, holy crap, the shit that they see and they look at every single day, man, it's horrifying. It's terrifying the kind of life that they live and what they have to deal with on a daily basis, especially over there. So, again, we as Americans here in the United States have the luxury of not having that kind of stuff every single day that our kids are going to be living through and having that inside their brain housing groups for the rest of their lives. So it's very, very important. And coming across the border, there was a news uh, broadcast the other day where they're showing that people coming across the border that are seeking refuge and all that stuff, it's not just people from Nicaragua, Venezuela, all those countries there that are coming over here. They detained over 150 people that were coming from Sudan, coming over here into the United States. Now, these individuals had AK-47s tattooed on their forearms. So obviously, to me, in my opinion, the way that I look at this is that they don't have firearms tattooed on them for no particular reason. Oh, just because I go to the tattoo parlor, like, hey, tattoo a gun on me. That's what I want to do. I look at this as these could be trained units that are coming across trying to seek asylum here in the United States to sit here in preparation for something else, something bigger that they could be planning on what they're planning to do here in the United States. Now, hopefully that is not the case and that we keep our security here in our borders and everybody here in the United States safe because if we get into something that's huge, a some kind of battle or fighting and war comes here to the United States, who's going to come and rescue us? The United States is the one that always goes out there and takes care of other people's crap, cleans it up, and then comes back home. So that's something that, you know, I think about every single day and something that I'm going to continue to follow up on because, hey, why not? Let's find out what the hell is going on to ensure the safety and security of our nation and of our families here in the United States. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Signs is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Signs will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Signs Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Signs will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Signs Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Signs Photography. Visit Miguel Signs Photography online at miguelsignsphotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Last week in our book, the vision 
is now staged and prepared to head over the border and into Iraq. So last week we talked about how the division was there and how the Iraqi army can actually see the division there and just look at them because now they were looking at each other face to face, ready to go. Now, on that day, on March 17th, when we were walking up in the middle of the night, say, hey, grab your stuff. It's time. We got the word. We got the orders. And when we headed over there to our staging areas, you know, we were we were excited being young Marines. Now, back then, remember, I was a sergeant back then when we actually headed down there because uh, of the stop loss and stop move that occurred during that time frame where no Marines were getting out and nobody was executing orders or anything like that. And that affected a lot of people, including myself. It affected me because I had orders to go to the drill field to go to a drill instructor school. And they stopped that because they did not want to lose anybody with experience or anything else in the units. If you guys can remember, when they were doing all that planning and preparation down there in the division headquarters, they ensured that the units were going to have enough individuals to fight. They wanted to make sure that everybody was going to be available, especially all the individuals that had the experience in the units and the things that they were going to be using, whether it was a weapon system or some kind of new technological device or things like that that were going to be used by the division. So because of that, all these individuals just couldn't go anywhere. So I was stuck. So many of the Marines, my Marines, my friends, they were stuck. But this week, let's take a look at the Iraqi disposed to defense. How and what the heck were they going to do to protect themselves from the division now that we're getting ready to go across? And not like it's going to make any difference because as a division, we pushed through very fast. From there all the way into Baghdad, I mean, we were there in a heartbeat getting there to ensure that we were able to actually execute the orders that were given to us in order for us to be successful. So let's get on with the story and can see what the division and what the heck the Iraqis were doing. So on the eve of the battle, the Iraqis hunkered down in a largely set peace defense across the division zone. At the border, the division faced screening and reconnaissance elements from the Iraqi border guards, regime security services, and the Ba'ath militia. So we can see the Iraqis were patrolling the border just to get intelligence and to find out exactly what the division was doing. Now that caused the tension to be high because we could see them. We could see their vehicles coming to the border and patrolling and observing everything that was going on. Now this was something that we were not used to. Remember, these were all young Marines. None of us had any kind of combat experience. The only thing that we knew was what we trained for. And what we trained for was to be prepared to go to combat. And here we were, looking at it, right dead in the face. Human intelligence had reported reinforcements of the defenses in the Safwan area. A number of tanks from the 51st Mechanized Division had been pushed south of Highway 31. The border guard and the regime troops patrolled the border in isolated groups, supported by mortar fires. There were reports of hasty minefields in place in the wake of the withdrawing UN forces, especially to the north of Jabal Sanam. The Iraqis were observed laying surface mines astride the few roads that led across the border 
from Kuwait. To the west, the previous weeks had seen a full brigade of the Iraqi RA 18th Infantry Division move in the previously undefended South Rumaliyah oil fields concentrated in the vicinity of the Goths 3. The South Ramayah Intermediate Pump Station, a battalion of D-30 howitzers, directly supported this brigade, with a general support provided by at least two batteries of Type 59-1s and one battery of GNH-45s. This position appeared largely unsupported by other maneuver elements, however, the stood isolated in the oil field infrastructure. To the east, armored elements from the 51st Mechanized Division's 41st Brigade had been pushed south, forward of their garrison positions to defend along the Highway 8 and 31 avenues of approach in the vicinity of the Sabrao Pumping Station Complex, or Crown Jewel. Major elements of the 31st Brigade had withdrawn into the Al-Bazara urban area, but at least one battalion remained in the vicinity of the Shubaya barracks just north of Al-Zabrir. Judging by the stationary equipment major elements of the 32nd Brigade, likewise, remained in the vicinity of Garrison, with some screening elements pushed south down Highway 80. There had been a surprise lack of conventional preparation of obstacles, minefields, and integrated defensive positions on part of this division. On the north side of the Shal Arbazara waterway, the 6th Armored Division, the 6th AD, remained dispersed in the approaches of the Al-Bazara from the east and the north. The 30th Armored Brigade remained oriented towards the Iranian border, and the Al-Farah with the 70th Armored Brigade was poised north of Saddam Canal in the position of the counterattack of the west and the south. The remaining brigade of the 6th AD and the 25th Mechanized remained in defensive positions near Al-Qurnal, guarding the Euphrates River crossing there. If the Iraqis were going to vigorously defend, the 6th AD would be a center of gravity for them. The 6th AD had older equipment, but had over 100 T-54s, 55 main battle tanks. The Iraqis could do little with the conventional military forces to stop the 1st Marine Division's assault, but the 6th AD was their best bet to attempt to delay it. The 11th Infantry Division's 11th ID remained spread across the marshes of the east of Anazaria and had reportedly set one of the brigades to reinforce Al-Bazara and a part of the Umm Qasar. The Division's G2 had expected to see the 11th ID consolidate in the Al-Nazaria defenses, but they had not done so by the time the division commenced its attack. By all appearances, the Iraqis had chosen to use the 11th ID to maintain control over the local Shites, while other regime forces defended an Al-Nazaria choke point. The city of Al-Nazaria, was reportedly defended by at least a brigade of reinforcements from the north, composed of elements of the Republican Guard, Bath Militia, and the unknown number of preliminary fighters, located at the waist of the hourglass choke point. 
and Azaria presented challenges to the long-term stabilization similar to the ones of Al-Bazara area did. The division hoped to avoid the enduring tasks that would accompany securing and stabilizing the Anazaria urban areas, leaving the mission to the task force Tarwa. The Iraqi missile and rocket forces were still reported operating throughout the division zone, with at least a brigade worth of launchers and missiles in position to range border areas and Kuwait. There had been no reduction in the number of reported sightings of imagery detectives of these systems, and the words of the regime's previous threats are still rang in the division's ears. The regime had told the Iraqi people to be strong for 72 hours, to withstand the division's ears. The regime promised this would give them time to launch a massive retaliation using their missile forces. The Iraqis had experienced some success to date in hiding these forces from coalition targeting, and all of these systems were possibly chemical capable. The strong words were likely just more bluster and a part of the regime's hierarchy in order to buy time for their own escape. But the possibility of the employment of chemical weapons in the opening days of the war could not be dismissed out of the hand or wished away. Now that was so true. Because even though they were saying that these missiles had the capability for warheads that were nuclear, or not nuclear, <laughs> chemical, dang, I'm thinking about nuclear war already, oh my God, that would have been heinous. But they had the chemical capabilities to be able to shoot these mi missiles to the forces that were right there along the Kuwaiti-Iraqi border and shoot all the way into Kuwait which is why the division had moved all the artillery units away from Camp Matilda because that would have been one of the primary targets that the Iraqis would have targeted because of all the artillery ammunition and all the artillery weaponry that was located there. So as you can see, man, these individuals, you know, they're planning and it's just a big game of chess. That's all it is. A big game of chess from our commanders their commanders of what they're playing and that's why it's very very important that you are able to you know plan all these things that are going on because when one makes a move the other is going to make a move and it's going to go back and forth and that's just the way that it's going to go so the division is ready they're ready to head across and now they're able to see exactly what the iraqi army is doing so this will allow them to be more prepared and the division is going to kick ass and be more successful. Hero, Hero highlight. highlight. Private First Class James Dennis LaBelle enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserve on 18 November 1943. Fifteen months later, on a remote Pacific volcanic isle, he earned the coveted Medal of Honor. The highest military honor awarded by the United States. Born in Columbus Heights, Minnesota on 22 November 1925, James LaBelle lived a life parallel to that of the average American youth. He attended grammar school in his neighborhood in Minneapolis and in his spare time veed with other boys his age for top honors at the basketball court and the baseball diamond. His spare time favorite was the raising of home pigeons. In Columbia Heights High School, 
the future Marine put his 67 inch, 129 pound frame to good use by starring on the basketball, baseball, and boxing teams while following a vocational course in woodwork and metalwork. During summer vacations, he worked as an apprentice acetylene welder for a local conditioning corporation, displaying the same spirit that won his laurels in the athletic field. The wiry 17-year-old Minnesotan obtained his mother's permission and enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserve in Minneapolis. Recruit training in the Marine Corps base in San Diego, California followed and here he learned the use of the tools of war in the fashion that distinguished the Marine Corps on the field of battle from its very founding. At Camp Pendleton, California, he qualified in the intensive combat training course before embarking for overseas. And on 30 June 1944, he joined the Regimental Weapons Company 27th Marines 5th Marine Division. The following August, he sailed on board the USS George F. Elliott, bound for Hilo, Hawaii, and eventually the lava ash shores of Iwo Jima. At Camp Tarawa, a Marine camp in Hawaii near Hilo, the Regimental Weapons Company engaged in more indoctrination and training preparatory to actual combat. He was taught battle hints, where that were to stand him in good stead of the titanic struggle that was to come. On 19 February 1945, after aerial and naval forces had pounded its desolate surface for many days, the island of Iwo Jima felt the sting of the invading marine amphibious forces. One of the thousands PFC LaBelle fought continuously from the initial landing until 8 March of 1945 when he gallantly gave his life and earned the highest military honor his nation could bestow. His mother was presented the Medal of Honor by Brigadier General William E. Riley, then Director of the Marine Corps Public Information, in ceremonies 21 July of 1946 in Minneapolis. Private First Class LaBelle remains were re-entered into the United States in late 1948 and were re-entered in the cemetery in Fort Snelling, Minnesota. The quarterdeck, tick-tock, tick-tock. The Iraqi army is on a time frame for destruction as the 1st Marine Division prepares to head into Iraq and make their way all the way into Baghdad. Oh my, tension is rising and rising and rising because I can tell you guys from my own experience, the excitement, the adrenaline rush that we had as we prepared to actually start the engagement into Iraq, man, it was, it, it was an amazing experience. I can't even explain it to you guys because if you weren't there, you're really not going to understand exactly what was going on. But next week in our reading of our book with the 1st Marine Division in 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, we're going to take a look at 19 March, the day that the division poised for battle and how important that day was. And I'm going to tell you guys, some of the experiences and the emotions that I felt that day as we prepared to execute the very first fire mission that we were going to be shooting from our howitzers into Iraq, knowing that this time 
when we fired our weapons, they were going to head downrange. And these weren't targets. These were actual live people, enemy, that were trying to kill us. But the mentality that I had and what I told all the other Marines was, remember, it's either them or us. And we need to make it home to be with our families. So that was the mentality that we had to have in order for us to make sure that we were ready and prepared to actually head into country and, you know, be successful in the battle that we were going to be going into because, man, I tell you guys, you know, that feeling and excitement was there because, wow, just wow, 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 because nobody was even ready or prepared to head in there. So we'll see. We'll get into more detail next week and we'll talk about that epic day that the division actually headed into country. In our hero highlights next week, we'll take a look at the story and the heroism of 2nd Lieutenant John Harold Leems and what he did to earn himself the Congressional Medal of Honor. Like always, I want to thank all my loyal listeners for tuning in every single week. A big shout out to you guys. And always remember, you can leave us comments and questions on our Facebook page, The Quarterdeck with Gunny Signs. And I always check that every single day. And I get notified whenever a new question or a comment is posted on there. So let us know. Let me know so I can go ahead and pull that comment, that question out of there for you and be able to answer any questions that you may have. Or maybe, hey, you might think about becoming a guest here on our show. And we'll go ahead and get together, be able to have a conversation and discuss our time that we spent when we were down there in Iraq together. Or maybe you have your own stories that you would like to share with us. And I'm sure that everybody would love to listen to the stories that you may have that you want to share. So again, thank you for joining us this week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the time with your family. Until next week, this is Miguel, the Gunny Signs, sounding Liberty Call. Get out the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The Constitution of the United States. The United States.